You don't like the Drake. I hate the Drake. I love the Drake. How could you not like the Drake? Who's the Drake? Who's the Drake? The Drake is good. Do you like the Drake? I love the Drake. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Robin Everyone Loves the Drake comic podcast. I'm your host, Rob Myers. This podcast is going to be taking a look at Tim Drake, my favorite Robin. We'll be taking a look at Tim's first appearance in Batman Year 3, that's Batman 436, and working our way through Tim's training all the way to Tim's ongoing Robin series that won 183 issues. So sit back and relax and find out why everyone loves the Drake. Good for them. Love the Drake. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 15 of Robin Everyone Loves the Drake. I'm your host, Rob Myers, and we brought back Terrence again for uh, the wrap-up and the conclusion of the Robin miniseries, the 91 miniseries, and uh, kind of in celebration of Tim Drake's 25th anniversary, if you can believe it. Tim Drake is 25 years old. I think when this episode goes up, it'll be a couple days before his actual uh, anniversary as the podcast now will be um, on a regular um, schedule every other Wednesday throughout the month. You can hear Robin, Everyone Loves the Drake on the BatmanUniverse.net. So if you haven't had a chance to go over to the website, we have a whole new look and layout. So all of your favorite podcasts and news informations are up there on the uh, BatmanUniverse.net. And you can see the new Robin Everyone Loves the Drake logo, the new Batgirl to Oracle logo. And there are so many podcasts, I can't get them all out in time. But a lot of great work has gone into the website. So the previous episode was recorded before the website was officially up. So just wanted to make sure everybody heads over to the Batman universe and give Dustin and the guys a good thumbs up because they did a fantastic job on the website. Now that that's out and I'm back from vacation and Terrence is back from vacation. Terrence, good buddy. How are you doing? I'm doing great. And, and you are right. The, the website looks great. They, they did a great job on it. I, I checked on it the other day. And I, I thought I clicked on the wrong site for a second because it looked all different. And I was like, oh, wow, this, this looks really good. Um, so, and uh, it's kind of cool that Robin's 25th, or, or Tim Drake's 25th, is coinciding with Batman's 75th. And um, I, I just, school's just getting started. Kids aren't back yet, but the teachers went back yesterday. And uh, I put up a big uh, poster, a new poster I got over the summer of like a timeline of Batman's history. Um, if it's in. Um, the newest issue of Batman, Batman 34, there's like a double page ad of the poster, but Barnes and Noble were, were giving out those um, posters over the summer. So I, I put that up and there's a lot of cool Tim Drake stuff on it. So uh, looking forward to hitting some of those and hearing your, your take on some of those Tim Drake timeline moments. Yeah. And the, the funny thing uh, with that also is that uh, Tim Drake is roughly the same age as the 1989 Batman movie. So when yeah. that, that kind of puts a little bit of perspective of how old, you know, the Tim Drake character is when you stop and think, I remember going to the theater in 89 in uh, June to go see uh, Batman. And then just a few months later, 
we get Tim Drake in comics. Um, now, I mentioned this in the last episode that uh, you can argue that Tim Drake's technical first appearance is actually in June in year three, but uh, – the whole, you know, debacle of, you know, well, continuity is this, and it's a flashback, so I think people have just kind of settled on August, but uh, it's still cool to think that uh, uh, 25 years, uh, that I'm 25 years older, that's kind of sad. <laughs> yeah, He's, he hasn't aged, he still looks good, but we're, we've gotten old. Uh, yeah. You know, it, it's funny you mention that, because um, that was the thing, you know, Batman, Tim Burton came out, and it was a Batman film, and it was just Batman, which was okay, because Batman started solo, and then the whole big buzz was, well, there'll be a Batman 2, you know, because it, it did so well. Will, Ro- will Robin be in it? Because a lot of people just knew Batman and Robin. They didn't even know solo Batman. And, uh, you know, a lot of people were bashing Robin. And Tim Burton was always like, oh, I don't think Robin works. And I was reading all this Tim Drake stuff going, this would be a great movie. Why? This would be awesome, uh, you know. And luckily, um, we got right around 92, the Batman animated series, which they used, you know, Dick Grayson for but still it was it was tim drake kind of in spirit with the costume and everything so at least we got some um visual i I don't i almost called it live action but i guess (laughs) it's not live action the actors are the voices are um some some robin and and they really proved that it could work and it could work in the animated series it could work in a movie but um i was also thinking and i want to ask you this question if tim drake hadn't come out in with his new you know costume or uniform in you know 91 and when they came out with Batman in the animated series, do you think they would have used the old Pixie Boots Robin for the animated series? Or do you think they would they would have done their own redesign? I'm wondering what it, the animated series Robin would have looked like without Tim Drake. Yeah, that's kind of interesting. I've 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 thought the same thing. It's it's kind of a good thing that Tim came out because they could you know easily go oh we don't have to redesign anything. But uh, with certain uh, like Mister Freeze and I'm trying to think some notable other notable ones that had a significant uh, redesign from their comics. Uh, Mr. Freeze had this uh, like superpower, super friends colors where he had pink and white uh, in an outfit. I had that uh, action figure and, and a pink booted uh, Mr. Freeze doesn't seem really menacing, but uh, uh, it would have <laughs> yeah. been kind of interesting to see what the animated series would have done, or maybe they just would have skipped. Uh, Robin altogether. They may have looked at it and said, "Look, we we can't come up with anything, and we got this kid in you know underoos and pixie boots." So uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, you were talking about live action. We did kind of, sort of get a Tim Drake costume live action in the. Uh, 94's Batman Forever. Um, I remember thinking after you know seeing the animated series, thought, I wonder what you know uh, uh, what Tim's costume would look like if it was on the big screen. So I thought that was uh, kind of cool that they kind of put one together in Batman Forever. Being whatever you think of the movie, um, I still kind of like it. Maybe it's just my Robin glasses, Robin rose colored glasses are still a little foggy. That it was just the you know I had my moment of like finally Robin on the screen, but. They didn't quite get it right, but still, you know, I thought the costume looked great, you know, maybe minus the nipples. Yeah, you know, the movie doesn't hold up as well, but when it came out in 95, I absolutely loved it. I I probably thought it was flawless in 95, and it's shown a few flaws over the years, and and Nolan's take, that didn't help either. And Batman and Robin also didn't help it because it, it, you, you see it through that lens now. But, yeah, I was geeking out when I saw that Robin, the R, Tim Drake's R on the uniform. And, you know, and I thought they did really good going from the fabric of the uh, Grayson, flying Graysons, to then the Tim Drake Robin in more of the uh, rubber suit. And uh, 
I even liked it in Batman and Robin how they they made it Nightwing in, in, in you know um, sort of Nightwing esque uh, in that one. So yeah, I, I was geeking out when I saw that. At first, with the Nightwing, you could kind of pick up the Nightwing logo from uh, Batman and Robin. But, you know, going, you know, 20 some odd years into the future almost to the new 52, they were almost spot on with the Nightwing costume, obviously minus the cape, where I think the Robin, uh, Batman and Robin costume was more blue and red. But the new 52 would have almost the same bird design in a black costume and being instead of the blue bird, they changed it to red. So uh, looking back at it now, that movie is just horrible to kind of watch. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, there were a few things you kind of go, eh. I think every Batman fan still looks, even as much as you may not like those movies, you still kind of want to defend it in some way and go, well, you know, Mr. Freeze looked good and, you know, Bane looked good. There's a lot of things that maybe looked good, but uh, there's a lot that was just really wrong. So, yeah, I mean, we could spend all day talking about those movies, (laughs) but definitely from a design element. I, I always appreciated how much they pulled from the comics, even if it, they pulled more on the campy side or, or played up the camp. I appreciated that they they didn't just have Poison Ivy as, with a henchman; they actually used Bane, you know, and 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 things like that. And they pulled a, a lot of it. I just think some of the execution <laughs> didn't go off <laughs> the way fans wanted it. But uh, from a design element, if you if if you don't be all cynical, be like, oh gosh, I hate that movie, like because to be like everybody else and give it a fair shake. It does have some cool designs. Yes, definitely. Uh, well, on a lighter, brighter note, this is Tim Drake's 25th anniversary, and uh, I think the podcast kind of worked itself out right. In a perfect world, uh, this episode will be releasing on the 29th. Uh, but uh, the two issues that we're going to be taking a look today is obviously the fifth and final part of the Robin miniseries, and the second issue is actually uh, Robin's first appearance with Batman in a public setting, and that'll be in issue 465. So I thought this was uh, really good that uh, the issues kind of uh, do go hand in hand. You can almost look at the last page of uh, uh, five of the Robin miniseries, and it's you can kind of see Batman and Robin swinging off, and then in uh, 465, it's... I kind of took that as it's still the same motion the same day or whatever it is so uh because the i got a a good response from the audio drama and i don't know what i'm going to do with the last little section uh the synopsis you're going to hear for issue five of the miniseries is the tail end of the uh 1996 audio drama of the legends of Robin. That was the BBC production. So we'll let Terrence and I off the hook as if we're still kind of in vacation mode. So after (laughs) the audio drama plays out, we will talk about uh, the fifth and final part of the 1991 Robin miniseries. Uh, Thanks for tuning in and welcome to the show.
What are they doing in there? Can't tell. Looks like they've hooked up the bioweapon to some crazy fountain they have in the lobby. Perhaps they intend to use it to trigger the weapon. And I doubt Sir Edmund will be here when that happens. Then let's get this done. Robin, you're staying here. This is going to get ugly. But... The boy comes with us. The little bird is a warrior now. Bull. You're getting off on all this way too much, Shiva. Leave the kid out of it. Perhaps we should let him make his own decisions. Don't pretend you give a damn about anybody but yourself. I want him out. You play your sick little games on your time, lady. I'm going after Dorrance now. Right now. Clyde. Let him go. He is already a dead man. He died with his family. But we can't let him go in alone, Shiva. If Sir Edmund is all you say he is, then Clyde doesn't stand a chance. Shiva. Shiva. She's gone. I've got to get Batman to show me how to do that. Clyde's going to get himself killed barging in like that. Lucky for both of us, I did my homework. Schematics of Sir Edmund's building weren't that hard to track down. From there, it's easy enough to find the control panel and the electric lines under the street. And... ah, The alarm's disabled. Now we're on sneaky time. Torrance, you up here? Figured you'd be in the penthouse suite. It's your style. I'm coming for you, Dorrance. Or King Snake, or whatever you call yourself. Hiding in this darkened room ain't gonna help you. Not one... Hide from you, Mr. Rollins? I wouldn't think of it. So far, so good. No alarms, no big guys with guns... Spoke too soon. All right, scum. Let's get this over with. It is already over. You see, Mr. Rollins, blind though I am, I am more than a match for you on any terms. And in this room, in the heart of my empire, I know every corner, every curve. And with the lights out, I have every advantage. I'm used to fighting in darkness, Mr. Rollins. Are you? Stop moving. Stand and fight me. Why, Mr. Rollins, I'm right here in front of you. You are a seeker of vengeance. I have wronged you, hurt you. Now you seek justice? Where is the strength of the righteous? Where is the wrath of the avenger? Let me help you find it. I will tell you how your family died. That brat came this way. Look, that box of bolts left over from the construction of the water clock. It's been spilled, but not on accident. He spilt these bolts for a reason. Why? All that practicing with this sling I got from Chi. Here goes nothing. Ah! There he is. Hiding in the water clock. Stay right where you are, my young friend. You will make good sport. The children died in their sleep, but your wife... She died screaming your name. Screaming it, but there was no answer. You... You, I'll kill you. I seriously doubt that. And now it ends for you, Mr. Rollins. I only wish that I could see you die. Are you crazy? If you keep firing at me, you might hit that salt block. You'll release the plague. Don't worry, I won't miss again. I could take him in the head. I could try for his trigger hand. But I have to plug up that cannon he's firing. Now, have you? Hmm, this training is actually paying off. 
The bioweapon's safe enough for now. Babo's shots made sure no water's going to get near it. And he managed to scare off all the guards, so there should be nothing between me and Clyde, except the most dangerous man in the world. Clyde, it's dark up here, so dark that I don't see the body until I stumble over it. Clyde, Clyde, Clyde! His neck is broken. So, you are alone. <gasps> no sign of your bat-winged elder. He wants my voice to pinpoint me. A pity. I would have killed him next. The Dark. His blindness isn't a handicap here. The Dark is his ally. His shield. But the Dark is more to me. Perhaps he'll try to avenge you. One can only hope. The Dark is my friend. You have to breathe sometime, boy. Music? Yeah. He misses. Barely. He's fast. You attack me with a toy? He knows this room. He can place me without seeing me. A strike! Oh, the breath is gone. Gotta stay out of reach. Can't take another hit like that. You are Batman's prodigy? You're nothing but an upstart. A deluded innocent. More music? A death song. I'm not with that pity, boy. I'll make your end a quick one. A staff tied to a wire. My little decoy only gives me an instant. Yeah! Boy, boy, are you there? I'm here, Sir Edmund. Boy, we're fifty stories up. I can't hold onto this ledge for long. Help me up. Do not, Shiva. The woman. This is your chance to kill him. Kill little bird. Kill him and become a predator. I thought you wanted him, Shiva. You wanted to be the baddest of the bad. But I will be killing him. Aren't you my weapon? My instrument of death? Oh, say you are mine. No. Kill him. No. Hm. I wanted you for my own little bird. Not just to destroy the king snake, but to have my revenge on your mentor. But you have your wings now. You have flown your own way. I'm too tired for philosophy. Then I leave you with information that might interest you. Sir Edmund was planning to relocate from Hong Kong to Gotham City. The ghost dragons have already left on a ship containing the King Snake's entire supply of heroin and cash. Thanks. Leave. I will deal with King Snake. It takes everything I've got left to lift Clyde's body. I don't even think about anything else. No, 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 no! Gotham, the ship isn't hard to find. Neither are the ghost dragons. Finally, it's over. You've been back a week and you didn't call. I wanted to see this through on my own. You've been here all along. Gotham is mine. I knew about the ship. Why didn't you step in? You didn't need me. You look ready. Are you? Is your education finished? Do you ever get tired? Do you ever wonder if what we do makes any difference? It does to me. That's all I ask. For him, it isn't about saving the world. It's about saving himself. And why am I here? I don't know the answer to that one. I guess my education is just beginning.
That was the synopsis for uh, number five of the Robin miniseries. And uh, that's something cool you can check out. You can find it in a lot of places. Like, uh, I don't think iTunes has it anymore, but now you can pick it up on Amazon. And I think, um, I'm forgetting the audio book, uh, audible.com I know has that. So if you're interested in picking up the audio drama, you can find it there. Uh, Terrence, what'd you think of, uh, you have any memories or anything of picking up, uh, issue number five or, you know, kind of what you were thinking when this was coming out? Yes, I have a, a very vivid, um, memory of getting issue five cause it happened this morning, actually. Uh, <laughs> for some reason, I don't know why I don't have, I didn't have Robin 5 in my comments. I don't know if it got ruined or destroyed or lost or one of my friends borrowed it and never brought it back. Um, anything could have, or it could be in a pile of Batgirls or something. I don't know. Uh, but um, I, I, with our vacation and everything, I didn't think I would be on for five. So I was kind of like, well, I remember it and I've read the synopsis and, you know, if, if I don't get it, I don't get it. And then when we were going to do the podcast, I'm like, I need to get it. So. Uh, luckily, I called a comic shop that was about 45 minutes away, but they had it. So this morning, I drove out and got it. And uh, I was like, well, let me pick up Batman 465, even though I have it somewhere in a box somewhere. And digitally, I, I picked up one of those. And the clerk, when I was ringing it up, uh, he was nice enough to check first to make sure they had it before I drove all the way out there. He was like, oh, man, I love this run. I love this this Robin run. So I told him about our podcast and everything and what we were doing Um but uh, yeah, it was. It's kind of cool to uh, dig in the back issues and get it and uh, pull it out. And luckily, uh, somebody had it. They they have it collected in a trade paperback, Robin Reborn. But that's out of print. I I couldn't find that anywhere. Uh, but um, I've got it. It's in my hand. It's like a small little victory to get that back issue you needed. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, uh, this one I think I didn't pick up uh, for a while when it first came out for whatever reason. I I have it in front of me. Um, I picked up every one on the day of its release, but I don't know if uh, I had some school function, so I normally would pick it up on a Wednesday or I think maybe Thursday. That's when comics were coming out back then. Uh, but I think I picked it up on the following that following week. I remember being upset, like I, I need to I need to get this issue. I need to get this issue. Yeah. Uh, maybe it was just as simple as dad wouldn't let me have the car or, <laughs> or something like that. Um, but uh, my funny uh, story uh, about picking up some issues happened to me on uh, my vacation that uh, we try and hit some comic book shops as, you know, maybe we are on vacation and my wife will give me a little eye roll like, okay, let's hit a comic book shop. And uh, I didn't really remember there being much King Snake uh, being out at the time. And I found a series that happens shortly after uh, 465. It's called Shadow Box, and it's the first appearance of King Snake almost a year later um, after uh, this Robin miniseries. So King Snake would make a few extra appearances, and after looking at my podcast schedule, I decided to slip those three issues uh, in the podcast, and I'll just do it as one issue. So I started reading a little bit of it the other night, and it's actually a pretty good story. It was uh, completely off my radar. And uh, I was going through the box, and I sat him up there, and the guy's like, oh, that's an old uh, series. I haven't seen that in a while. And I told him about the podcast and told him where to find it. So maybe, sir, you're hopefully listening out there from uh, Comic Town in uh, Ann Arbor, Michigan. So uh, I'd like to think maybe you are. Cool. Who was the uh, writer and artist on that series? Um, I don't have it in front of me. I believe uh, – I know the artist is Norm Brayfogel. I know that for a fact. Um, oh, wait a minute. Uh, maybe I do have it. I made a liar out of myself. Okay. Uh, uh, no, I was wrong. It's Dixon, Lyle, and Machinsky, I think. It's uh, Batman 467. So if I'm right, then I was wrong. No, it's uh, 
it's almost two issues after this. So we have a 466 uh, story, if it's a one-off, and then it goes into 467, so they don't even wait a year. I was completely wrong uh, on that. So, uh, okay. yeah, King Snake makes an abrupt appearance almost uh, an issue after this. Yeah, it's funny you mention that because um, I remember that, and now I, I just pulled it up to look at it. That cover, 467, is, uh, is uh, spoiler alert here, you should have read it, uh, links with her eye patch. And as I was going through the back issues, I pulled up, and I was like, oh, yeah, that's right. She gets that eye patch. And then when I read it in 5 today, uh, rereading it for the podcast, so I was like, oh, yeah, there's the eye patch. But, uh, yeah, that's cool. Uh, the cool thing about, uh, well, save us when the podcast comes up, but each of these three issues make one big mural um, type of a, an image where uh, Robin's on the left on uh, the first book, and then on the end he's on the right, so it kind of pulls everything together with Batman in the middle. So, uh, But we'll save that for the podcast. Um, going right into it, uh, from the last issue, or last episode, uh, the water clock at first was something I was having a hard time wrapping my head around of like why uh, Sir Edmund was wanting this water clock. Like what could he possibly be doing with it? And I think I kind of poked a fun at that they're over in France and he wants this, you know, a 500-year-old water clock and he's just going to have some worker put it in the back of his car and <laughs> hoof it over to Hong Kong. Um, it seemed like a really big uh, plot. I shouldn't say a big plot. It was more like a plot hole, like this uh, plague is going to be used in this water clock, but he, I don't think they really went into it, like what he was planning on doing with this plague. Was he just wanting to wipe out all of Hong Kong with it? I don't know if this is something that I missed. I think even in the synopsis, you could kind of hear uh, in the discussion, I was kind of even trying to figure out what the heck he was going to do with it. So I hope it wasn't just me. Yeah, when when it first appeared in the series, I thought they were just trying to show him how he's just like, you know, just push people around and get whatever he wants. Um, then when it came up in this one, I was like, aha, so there's a purpose to the water clock and it's part of the, the plague. But I wasn't really sure. Was it to, you know, like kill lots of people? Was it a terrorist act? Was he just trying to cover his traces and destroy his facility and he needed some way to time it? I, it never, yeah, it never totally clicked what his end game was with the plague, you know? I know they went into a lot of detail of, you know, that this plague is going to be in salt and then there's going to be so much time. There was like a lot of thought put into this, but at the end of it, I was still going, so what, what are you planning on doing with it? So I think that's the only, uh, big knock I have towards, uh, Chuck Dixon in this uh, run is that you're, your big grandiose moment for uh, Tim is to try and stop this clock that uh, even your main character hasn't even put together what he's really going to do with it other than, Hey, I have to stop it. Yeah. And you know, and then all the stopping the clock is kind of done off panel. It's like, Oh, well I'll just wait for the authorities. And you know, the big thing was, you know, what the confrontation with uh, Clyde and uh, King snake and then the confrontation with Robin and King Snake and his his men and how does Lady Shiva play out through all this? You kind of didn't need the clock and the plague and all all that. It, it it seems a little unnecessary. They could have just gone with what they had and not not even worried about the clock. Uh, since you brought up Clyde, uh, what did you think of? Uh the and we know the end result spoilers if you haven't read it by now. Uh, Clyde's demise. I 
I felt like it was a, a rather short, a short fuse for Clyde. He's in a few panels of this runs off. And then probably by the next page and a half, uh, he's already has met his match with the King snake. Um, do you have any thoughts with, I mean, we kind of said before that Clyde seems very one dimensional. Um, and, uh, basically most of his whole story, he's almost not even needed. Yeah, I agree. The, the, I kind of like Clyde, even though he was one dimensional. And, and I think I mentioned before, that I I had thought he'd become an, a recurring character in in Robin's world, kind of maybe his Harvey Bullock or Commissioner Gordon uh, somehow. Uh, so I was surprised when I first read it that they killed him. Um, but then you know his death does seem kind of meaningless. It didn't serve any purpose. It didn't weaken King Snake. He didn't stop anything or do anything. It happens real quick. Um, he kind of goes down without a much of a fight and he's kind of dumb in the fight too like robin is he he, he remains quiet in the fight like and he, and he even has one line where he says like uh you know he, he wants trying to distract me i know better than to answer you know Ro- clyde is yelling he's like screaming he's like come here and he, i'm gonna get you sucker he says sucker somewhere <laughs> in there you know and i'm thinking like well why did robin even have to uh deactivate the sensors the you know um because there's one part where Clyde's running up and there's like a laser sensor that would indicate that he was there if he passed it. And Robin cut it off just in time before Clyde passed it. And I was like, well, wh- why bother if you're just going to yell and scream and say, I'm coming for you and all this. <laughs> it just didn't make sense. And he has a, a really big gun, which is put to no use whatsoever. So, uh, yeah, it I, I would have liked to see him gone out a little bit better or at least help Robin with his fight. Like – you know, come up a little bit and, and give Robin a hand taking him down or something. But, yeah. Yeah, he was pretty much out of commission before Robin even got there. Um, a line that they do put in here from Shiva, as still ugly as she is, um, <laughs> uh, she says, you know, let him go. He's already a dead man. Can't you see it on his face? He died with his family. So I guess that was kind of uh, – I guess it was more a suicide kamikaze type thing that um, – he probably knows he doesn't stand a chance at all, but he's going to hopefully hear what happened to his family, which I guess is really morbid as, as you're dying, the last thing you want to hear is how your uh, family was taken out. But um, yeah, I would have liked to have seen something a little more heroic where, you know, King snake's got Robin in a chokehold and Clive comes to, and, you know, gets a shot at King snake that ends up, you know, saving Robin's life or something, but he's uh, pretty much uh, out for the count after page 10. Yeah. Um, I do like, uh, you already mentioned this in the fight where Robin knows not to say anything, basically hold his breath and King snaking ends up saying something like, you know, you can't hold your breath forever. And, uh, the uh, staff ends up playing uh, a big part in uh, King Snake's uh, downfall. Uh, do you think now that we've gone through uh, four issues with the series, do you think that he, uh, Robin, got pretty much the training that he was sent there for? He just got about it in different ways. That um, if he had fought King Snake early on, uh, do you think he was, would have been taken out right away, or did all this training pay off for him? I definitely think the training paid off, but until you just said it, I just completely forgot that this whole thing was to, started with him going to Paris for training. Like he, he, they never went back to that, or he never, <laughs> never really completed that, did he? Because after this, it ends with him going to Gotham City. So um, I guess the, the the purpose of the training, um, 
it's funny that he didn't go back. Maybe he went back and we just didn't see it. But uh, yeah, um, I kind of liked it that it wasn't, you know, like Batman just taking him down real quick and King Snake kind of toys with them a little bit and calls him a prodigy and, and but, you know, that he'll, you know, uh, not quite as, and he always says here, you're nothing but an upstart, a deluded innocent. I kind of like that. And, um, he, you know, he he doesn't really like beat him up really. He kind of gets kind of a lucky kick or, or a well-placed kick, uh, which sends him out a window. Uh, so yeah, I, I kind of go with it. If it would have been, you know, eight panels or nine panels of Robin, you know, using Kung Fu and taking him down. And I, I might think that was a little, um, unrealistic, but one good kick right out the window. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah. Um, I do, uh, this is something I kind of rustled with in the previous episode that uh, Tim is notching his metal wooden staff. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's supposed to be collapsible. Last time I checked, bamboo wasn't collapsible. <laughs> yeah. But you know, I'll 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 let that go for here. I won't get on that tirade again. But I do like it that uh, he started using the staff, and uh, uh, King Snake says, "Oh, you know, music." So uh, Robin's already putting that. Uh, there into the sound so he ends up tying a string to it and spins the staff which gives like you said uh robin the upper hand for a second to uh, send him out the window um and i do like the uh batman moment um in here where uh you know batman would be standing over the edge where a crook's hanging from it and robin's basically like you know when shiva finally shows up is like well i'm not I'm not here to do your dirty work and almost pulls the dick move where I must let him hang from the roof and, you know, leaves rather than try and save King snake. But, uh, uh, I, that was one thing I didn't know if that really fit with Tim's character. I would have thought Tim would have said, you know, we're not going to kill him. We're going to bring him up. We're going to take him to the authorities. But Tim basically just, you know, walks and leaves him. How did, how did that leave, leave you when reading it for the first time or even just, you know, today? When I, when I, I don't know if I recalled it from 25 years ago, but when I read it today, it first struck me as, well, that was cold, or that was untim-like to let him die like that. But then after thinking about it for a little bit, I was like, well, what other choice did Tim have? I don't think Tim, you know, could have picked him up, you know, and said, here, take my arm, let me pull you up, because either... You know, King Snake is a big dude, and Robin is still just, you know, a kid, 14. I don't know if he could have really lifted him off the ledge. And I don't think King Snake would have been like, oh, well, thank you, help me, and I'll be a good guy now. Like, he would have used <laughs> yeah. that to try to pull Tim down, or he would have, you know, he would have used that to try to kill Tim either with him or take him down or throw him. So at, my, at first it's like, oh, that's bad. But then I'm like, well, what, what choice did he have? The thing I'm interested in is Lady Sheep was standing out there tim kind of comes in then you hear him scream like what was lady shiver's role in it like did she step on his fingers did she you know what did she do should you just watch him um and then um uh then he's got to carry clyde out you can see he's kind of struggling carrying clyde you can see you know, clyde is much bigger than him and and dead weight so to speak uh, <laughs> sorry about that clyde yeah and, uh, yeah uh so that's what makes me think, well, I don't know if he could have even pulled up King Snake if, he, if King Snake was willing to not try to, you know, punch him in the neck or something. Right. Um, you know, Lady Shiva's um, 
revenge, not revenge, but to make sure that she's the, you know, the heavy martial arts person in the DCU at the time. Um, I, I took it as, you know, she did the whole thing where she kicked him in the head or like you said, stepped on his fingers. And now that makes her, you know, uh, the big baddie, uh, but I'll be really interested to finish up a four sixty seven uh, in the shadow box series to see, you know, maybe what in fact does happen if they get into that. Um, a person that, uh, in the last episode that I completely forgot about is Ducard. Like he came completely out of nowhere that they set him up. And I think issue one, maybe issue, maybe early in issue one. And then we don't see him again. Uh, other than uh, him being in the police car with the, uh, Hong Kong police and he's shooting it all up and they go into the, uh, uh, dock and, you know, here he is again. And I was trying to figure out this whole series and I even went back and reread the first issue. I can't figure out what in the heck he's doing. And I have, Wondered if this wasn't supposed to be like Bruce uh, checking up on Tim, but in fact, it's not. But did that throw you for a loop, too? It did. When I saw him here, I'm like, well, he's Mr. Useless. And uh, (laughs) and what's funny is, oh, it's not really funny, but Tim is carrying a dead body. He's got quite a dead body. And, like, they don't even mention it. They're like, oh, is Doran's dead? Yeah, he's dead. (laughs) But so is this guy I'm using as a backpack right now. So I... Yeah, I, I kind of saw these last two panels on page 19 and just kind of said, well, why is, why is he even here? But I guess he gave him the information about the ship, the Pacific Jewel, and I guess he was just there for um, moving that along. But yeah, he really was not who I thought he would be in the story. Uh, and maybe because of uh, Batman Begins and how they used that Ducard uh, name and all that, I thought maybe it would be more of a... A, a guy, and I think he comes back later in the comics. Right? Am I correct on that? Yes. yes. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, you know, I think I know we're not done with this issue just yet, but this is, the miniseries suffers just a little bit in that uh, a lot of this, I think, was DC trying to throw out some issues of Robin and see what kind of response it would get, see what um, you know the market was like for Robin, and they were still trying to feel their way a little bit on. Who is Tim Drake? Who is this Robin? What's his story? That, you know, you can see how they have some misfires in here. But overall, I think they, by the end, really got it. You know, even the cover is so much better than the cover of issue one. And Tim Drake looks, you know, it's dark. He's he, There's no red and just a little bit of yellow on him. No green, but it's Tim Drake. It's not that weird vampire guy from the first issue. (laughs) Right. Right. Tim Drake, you know? So, uh, yeah, I think Ducard was a little bit of throwing him in, trying to do something. Didn't quite work. And now we just got to kind of wrap him up. So, Uh, yeah, I I kind of uh, along the same line that that you're saying, uh, I think it was a good, uh, testing water. Um, and, I still enjoyed the story overall. Like I said, we're not quite done yet. Uh, we'll we'll save that and we'll finish up uh, the issue here uh, with Tim getting back to uh, Gotham City and taking out the ghost dragons that I'm assuming were in the crate with the money. It almost I know that's not how it's uh, seemed here that Tim uh, cuts the cable and the money crate goes to the bottom, but it almost looks like they're they come exploding out of it and Tim takes on a whole bunch of them. Um, in the audio drama, you got to hear uh, the 
kind of poor choking sound of Lynx, uh, where she's kind of going, you know, all that <laughs> stuff. But uh, we do find out the lesson that Lynx has learned that it appears that uh, Babu uh, gouged out her eye or, you know, uh, did something to it. And now she's wearing an eye patch and blames uh, Robin for her look. Uh, that, you know, you did this to me and uh, Tim just uh, walks away knowing that, you know, it, it Lynx is the one that did this to herself. She got involved uh, with the ghost dragons and uh, she's down here on her hands and knees and saying, you know, I was beautiful once. And then uh, we finally get the first uh, appearance of Batman aside from the very beginning of the story where uh, Bruce uh, is kind of going over uh, things with Tim, you know, that. Uh, Tim's kind of asking, you know, well, why, why didn't you, uh, come find me after, you know, knowing I was here. And, uh, I think it kind of shows, uh, uh, that Batman trusts the new Robin that, uh, you know, you didn't need me. I wanted to see if you could uh, handle this all on your own. Um, I do like the end here that, uh, uh, Tim knows that his training is just beginning. So, uh, I thought it was a good end, uh, to the series kind of having the, you know, Batman and Robin moment. I think Batman looks really funny. Uh, the way they have him drawn kind of smiling here. Yeah. Yeah. Like we were saying, I think this was a, a good first uh, stab at, okay, we're going to put out this mini series and let's, let's see how this new Robin or just Robin in general. Can he, can he sustain a book? And um, I was eagerly, uh, I was wanting this to continue. It's like, why can't this just be an ongoing series? So it would be a few years yet before we would finally get uh, the Robin ongoing series. And if this was the weakest that Chuck uh, Dixon had to offer, uh, I think everything that he wrote after this, uh, dealing with the Tim Drake character, just seemed like he was just putting out a gem after gem. He, uh, at least in, in my eyes, could could write no wrong for Tim. Uh, just trying to figure out uh, who Tim Drake was and how this Robin was going to interact with Batman. I think he um, used this as kind of a starting point, and then from there on just wrote a really phenomenal uh, Tim Drake character. What did you think of the series uh, as a whole? Yeah, you know, overall, um, I think some of the, the warts and some of the things I don't like about it are just because of the 24 and a half years of Tim Drake stuff that came after it. Um, at the time I was, I was on board. I was psyched for it. I was excited about Batman and Robin in the monthly. I was excited about possibility of a second Robin miniseries or a Robin, um, uh, what you call it, uh, ongoing series, which took a little longer to my disappointment, but, right. it, um, um, so yeah, you know, and I think it still holds up as a good read, you know, it's a good solid story. It's a good solid read. You know, uh, the first issue there, we talked about that. There were some things, especially the cover where like, this isn't Tim Drake. This is, you know, yeah, why, why they have him, you know, starting off doubting himself so much in the beginning and all this stuff. Um, but you know, taken for all in all, I think it's a good solid Robin story that, that 25 years later, you know, stands up. I think if you grab some some other books from May 1991 and especially some Marvel and stuff, it would not hold up as well. I just think that goes to the testament of uh, how 
how good the Batman and Robin characters are and just how, how good of a writer Chuck Dixon uh, was during this uh, time period. Like you said, uh, forgiving the warts and all, we're looking at uh, so many other great stories, but this this still feels really good. I was just reading some new 52 books um, late last night before I went to bed, and then this morning uh, reread uh, these two issues for the podcast, and it didn't feel like, wow, this is a trip back in time. It just it, it almost kind of felt timeless. That's like, yeah, this is Robin. This is Tim Drake. And um, yeah, some of the art does uh, put it back in that time frame. But as far as a storytelling uh, vehicle, I just thought it was done uh, rather well. And I remember, like you said, I just I wanted to see if we can do another miniseries, or you know, I, I was on board. Just the idea of having Batman and Robin uh, back together after so long, I thought was was great. So if you want, we can go right into uh, the synopsis for 465, and we'll be right back on the other side to talk about uh, this final issue for the podcast. We'll be right back. Batman 465, cover date, late July 1991, on sale date, June 4th, 1991, cover price is $1 and 125 in the UK. Writer Alan Grant, penciler Norm Brayfogle, inker Stephen Mitchell, letter Todd Clean, colorist Adrian Roy, and editor Dennis J. O'Neill. Tim Drake Robin, created by Marv Wolfman and Pat Broderick. The Robin costume, created by Neil Adams and Norm Brayfogle. The story, debut. Batman and the new boy wonder Tim Drake make their first appearance together swinging across the rooftops of Gotham City. Batman thinks to himself that he never thought he'd see the day again where Robin would be standing by his side. And he's doing quite well at the job tonight also. On this night, Batman lets Robin call the shots, seeing how his training has paid off. Robin spots some kids trying to break into a store on the street below, and Robin says that they should simply just fly by and scare the kids away. Once on the other side of the street, Batman recognizes two of the kids. They were two young men that Bruce Wayne is sponsoring through the Wayne Enterprises Outreach Program. He wants to get a closer look at the boys and see what they're up to. Bruce Wayne is also late for a premiere party. Batman asks Robin if he can handle the rest of the night on his own, and Robin replies, Yeah, the last half of the night won't kill me. Oh, great, Tim. Way to put your foot in your mouth. Batman turns his head and swings off, leaving Robin alone on the rooftop to watch the streets. Nice one, Tim. Think before you speak. Later on, Robin sees a blonde woman being hassled by a drunk man. He swings down to see what's going on. Robin pulls out his staff and forces the man to leave the woman alone. After twirling his staff and breaking a statue with it, the man turns to leave. Robin goes to comfort the woman... And she tells Robin that she was in love, but that a man she was in love with loves another, and that she could just kill him for it, for breaking her heart. Robin tries to tell her it's okay, and maybe she shouldn't talk like that, and she slaps Robin right across the face, saying, all men are liars and cheats, and calls for a taxi. Uh, This is part of the training that Bruce forgot to mention to him. In the Batcave, Harold is watching the latest episode of Calistoga, opera TV show and is mad at Duval and his choice on the episode he chose the wrong girl Alfred pokes fun of him and saying how silly these shows are and that only a fool would be caught up in them and then Alfred hears something about Duval and it upsets Alfred dearly I guess it takes one to know one Alfred back on the street Robin continues to help out various people in need 
Robin came across just in the nick of time to help out a naval officer who was being beaten by a couple of thugs. Robin calls out on the GCPD radio frequency for police and ambulance. This catches the ear of Commissioner Gordon and Sarah Essen, who are close by. Robin? Gordon exclaims. Once on the scene, Gordon says that it's been some time since he has seen the young detective. Tim just states that he has been away for a while. No need to give the illusion that he's not the former Robin. Sarah goes on to try and question Robin, but when she turns around, the boy wonders nowhere to be found. Gordon tells her, they do that. Now back in the guise of Bruce Wayne, he's able to find the young boys and where they were on the streets and stops by their apartment complex before going to the party to see why the boys were doing what they're doing. The boys say that the program sounds good on paper, but it's just like all other kids in the program. They just fall through the cracks, and no one even notices. After some discussion, Bruce is upset how the program has failed the two young men and offers the boys a job. It's not much to start with, but the boys are happy to hear this, and if they keep clean and do the right things, this will lead to more opportunities. The two young men agree. While swinging across the night sky, Tim knows that he needs to make a stop somewhere else, his father's hospital bed. As Robin, Tim slips into his father's room. It's not like his father will know he's there. He's still in a coma. He only stays for a few moments, just wishing he could speak to his father again. He turns around and climbs out the window and swings away. But a few seconds later, Tim's father awakes. Bruce Wayne arrives late as usual for the charity event with a very unhappy Vicky Vale waiting. But with a bouquet of flowers and some smooth talking, Bruce and Vicky head inside. Meanwhile, Robin spots the same woman from before. He thought he overheard her tell the cab driver that she was going to Hogan Park, but that's on the other side of town. Robin keeps a close distance and follows her. Robin looks up her information to find out that she has a police record. I wonder what for. On the inside of the event, Bruce has many women fawning over him. This doesn't surprise Vicky much, as tonight she's working for the event and taking pictures, and begins to take some of Bruce and some of his lovely ladies. The event is for the soap opera TV show, Calistoga. The cast raised money for the Wayne Foundation's outreach program, and the main character, Duval Pensky, a.k.a. Bob Dane, presents Bruce with a check. But just as he gets ready to hand the check, the blonde woman that Robin has been tracking has entered the room and fires a shot towards the stage at the actor. She begins to say that he broke her heart and that she must love him again. Bruce sees this and thinks that she really thinks that he's Duval. She's in love with a TV character. Bruce, quick on his feet, starts to play a part and attacks Dane as if Dane is really Duval, trying to convince the woman that Wayne is her wife and hopes that she will lower the gun to try and save her TV obsession. All the while, Vicky smiles and snaps pictures. Once inside, the commotion is over. Robin sees the woman trying to console Duval, a.k.a. Dane. The police arrive to take the woman away. Bruce tells Vicky that he didn't know what else to do, and he just kind of got caught up in the moment. And his hand is really sore from delivering that punch to Dane. Uh, Vicky can see it now. Bruce Wayne attacks high-profile TV star. Robin sees that sometimes things will just play out as they should. Later on the rooftop, Robin tells Batman that the woman was a star stalker and that she has been arrested three times for harassing Dane in the past five years. It's a sad thing, Batman says. Just then, the bat signal shines in the sky. The night's not over yet. As Batman and Robin land at the GCPD, they are met by Gordon and Sarah Essen. 
When Batman asks what the problem is, Gordon replies, there's no problem, Batman. He just wanted to make sure Batman was the first to know that he and Sarah Essen are going to be married. At the same moment across town, Alfred receives a phone call at Wayne Manor. It's the hospital asking for young Timothy Drake. His father has awoken from his coma. This is the best news in the world for young Tim. As Batman and Robin swing off into the morning sky, Batman feels like the past casts a long shadow, but maybe the bright light of the future will help dissolve it. Okay, that was the synopsis for 465. Uh, this is uh, Batman with Robin on the front of the cover and uh, Norm Brayfogle's uh, tip to the hat to the 19... If I'm going to get my date right. 1949 introduction of Robin. It's kind of his homage to that, uh, having Batman and Robin on the uh, front cover. And uh, I love Norm Brayfogle's Batman and Robin. One of my absolute favorite uh, Robin panels in this book happens in the middle of the book, and we'll uh, get to it in a second. But what do you think of this uh cover here this is one of my all-time favorite batman covers i love this cover it's one of the reasons why i bought an extra copy of it today i might just hang this on my wall or something um i i love this cover this cover is fantastic and i love underneath the dc bullet um it was on issue five of robin as well the little uh batman and robin standing shoulder to shoulder side by side like that so uh yeah i this is an a plus for me yeah totally all the way through and i like that uh you can see the staff uh, in his back. I just remember this is one of those covers that uh, I would like to try and find another one myself. Um, just uh, like you said, to hang on a wall. Um, I know that at one point the DC was uh, making posters of this without the uh, Batman and Robin logo at the top. It was just all black. So it was something I always wanted to try and track down, but I was never able to find other than like in a print ad in a comic or something. And it was one of those things like, oh, sometime, you know, I'll, I'll save my money up and get it. And of course, you know, I never did. Yeah. I love the the fact that the cover too says Batman with Robin and Robin's got his own logo. Uh, that I love that. Yeah. That's just another one of those things I think has just stood uh, the test of time. I know the Batman logo uh, kind of changes over the years, depending on who's writing it. But the Robin logo has basically stayed the same for 25 years. Uh, and that's just, uh, again, just shows the popularity of the Robin character. They found something that worked and said, you know what? We're keeping it. Yeah. Uh, debuted as the uh, first story for uh, Batman and Robin being uh, uh, on the streets together uh, in the public. And I like some of the dialogue that the inner monologue that, uh, Batman has with himself that uh, things kind of feel right again. It's uh, he can look over to his shoulder and see uh, Robin there and uh, uh, kind of senses that there, there was something missing. And I like that uh, Bruce is letting Tim kind of handle this and say, you know, I'll, I'll let you, you take the reins. You make the call of what we're going to do. And uh, I like the uh, flyby that the, Tim decides to have the two of them do Like we won't let the, uh, crooks uh down at the bottom uh see us we'll make it look as if like we don't we don't see them but they're gonna see us so i like kind of the outcome uh what'd you think of the uh little sub story i have two sub stories in here with uh bruce wayne figuring out that these two people are uh two kids that he's trying to put through like a wayne enterprises type of um an activity I love this story. This is like classic Alan Grant. I read a lot of Alan Grant Batman uh, comics in the the 90s, and and I always loved his writing. And and what I've 
heard about him in um, interviews and other people is that he did not really follow Batman comics. He did not really know what was going on in Batman comics in the 70s and stuff. So instead of pulling a lot of characters that have been around, he just created his own. He created guys like Anarchy and the Ventriloquist. And his books have a lot of these characters, like these two guys who are or two college guys from you know the Wayne Foundation um, who are just average kind of Gotham City people who interact with the Batman. And I, that's one of the things I really like about his work you know, partly because he didn't know a lot of what was going on in Batman, but he just does a lot of these just everyday run-of-the-mill Gotham City people um, that you might find. And um, I really liked it because at the time this came out, I, w- I also went back and reread pretty much all of the Jason Todd run. I, I-, I hunted down the back issues, and uh, Jason Todd was – they had kind of made him out to be a jerk and, and uh, like a – and he kind of still is a little bit with the red hood, like shoot first, ask questions later. And if it was Jason Todd and Batman standing on this rooftop, he wouldn't have even stood there and talked to Batman. He would have swung down and beat both these guys up and threw one of them through the window. Um, and I thought it was really great how Tim is more cerebral and more, you know, using the advantage of their, you know, the Batman imagery to just all you got to do is show him your shadow, show him you're watching and you prevented the crime as opposed to, you know, <laughs> causing more vigilante crime. So I, I really, really, really like the way Tim handled that. And this is one of the things that was making me a, a huge Tim Drake fan is just how he used his intelligence more than any other weapon in his arsenal. Um, I do like the I, I love that fact about Tim. Uh, the thing I thought was kind of comical that uh, Tim is still getting his bearings uh, with Batman and ends up putting his foot in his mouth by what he says. And I, I think it's not funny. haha, but the uh, uh, Bruce uh, Batman telling him, Hey, I'm going to go uh, check on these two kids and find out, you know, where I know him from. And, you know, can you handle your stuff from here? And he goes to uh, leave and tends up, Tim ends up saying, uh, Oh, I'll take an extra half hour. It's not like it's going to kill me. And then realizes, Oh crap. I'm in a Robin, I'm yeah. in a Robin costume. I just said, kill me. And I like the expression that Bray Fogel draws for Batman. And then the, uh, hand over the mouth of Tim. Like, I can't believe I just said something dumb like that. Uh, you know what Batman must think. So I, I, I like that, that they're not, uh, Alan Grant's not writing this picture. Perfect. Uh, Tim Drake, like, Oh, Jason Todd was such a screw up and I'm going to be this, you know, perfect soldier that he is, he's still he's still unsure and i can imagine the uh, sense that you would have being uh, next to batman uh, that you might fumble with your words a little bit and i kind of like that aspect yeah especially reading it as a you know whatever 16 17 year old kid how many times uh, i mean even now in my as 40 year old i do it but especially when you're a kid and you're just learning how to like have adult conversations you say the stupidest things all the time and say the wrong <laughs> things or you know yeah that, that was um really a, a really good human moment uh and that's i think alan grant is so good at he can do that and make these characters so human with just something little like somebody else would try to you know like oh well let's have you know both his parents murdered by the joker and have his girlfriend break up with him and have all these huge life shattering events to show how human he is. And Alan Grant's like, well, let's just have him say something dumb. And then, you know, and, and just his reaction. Uh, and it really, really makes Tim human. 
I like you said it perfectly that I think that makes him the most human rather than try and make this convoluted thing, just normal everyday things. I think that's just one of the brilliant things that Alan Grant did was he would just take the most day to day things that you would come in contact with and just put them in this superhero story that drew you in more that you could go, oh, I can relate to that. I've I've said something stupid like that. And uh, just jumping ahead a little bit, too, he does it a little bit with Alfred as well when um Harold's got the soap opera on and, uh, you know, Alfred's like, oh, it's kind of stupid, you know, and he watches <laughs> stuff. And then the guy says something on the TV and Alfred's like, what? He can't take her there. The old man's body's still in the bath. Like that, that humanized Alfred, too, is more than just the guy holding the tray of cold soup that Bruce Wayne doesn't know is supposed to be eating cold, you know? Yeah, there was just so much life into the characters. Um as much as, as I still like some of the New 52 stuff, I think uh, the New 52 could learn from what they previously had. Uh, the blonde girl here uh, that Tim tries to uh, come down and uh, save from uh, the wino, uh, she wants nothing of it because all men are slime. And, you know, t- <laughs> yeah. Tim gets a you know, slap to the face for it, uh, which I, I thought was a little, a little bit of a, a, a humorous moment that Tim was like, ah, oh, this is some training I didn't get, you know. <laughs> yeah, I hope that building is a Wayne building when he like just needlessly breaks the lion head off it and commits vandalism there. But we'll say that's a Wayne building and he, they had it fixed the next day. But yeah, I did like this. I liked how it's like the unpredictability of like, Tim, you never know, you never know what you're going to get out there. And, you know, you might run into some, you know, crazy woman out there and <laughs> she'll slap you because all men are scum. <laughs> I don't think we've talked about it too much, but, uh, and real quick, I like Bray Fogle's Batmobile, that it looks more like it's a, a car that just barely skims the ground. It just, uh, that's just a cool Batmobile that's coming into the Batcave. And we see, uh, Ace the Bat Hound here. Um, I completely forgot that, uh, uh, Alan Grant had him, uh, as part of, uh, Batman's family during this time. So that was kind of cool to, uh, to see there. Yeah, I've always loved Bray Fogle's uh, Batmobile, and this was a, a cool time to be reading Batman comics because they were building a, a new Batman family with Ace and Tim and Harold, and um, you know, you really felt like you were a part of something here. And then, then it comes up, which I think this might—I know what is your favorite scene. I think is the double-page spread, but I love this where Robin is throwing his R batarang. Yes. And it's yes. like whirls, and the last R is the R, and it shines. I, that is really cool. I like that. Yeah. I, it, and his, uh, we mentioned it in, uh, I think, issue one or issue two of the miniseries. Uh, just the fluid uh, movement, uh, even though it's two different artists here, but uh, Bray Fogel's uh, Robin coming in down through the top of the uh, canopy, you just kind of feel that sense of movement that he uh, must have leapt from the ground up into the air and came down uh, straight through, but he didn't have to draw all those panels. You, you already kind of feel that that's exactly what he did. So uh, I think that's great. And the, the R shuriken throwing uh batarang is just, uh, is really cl- a clever touch that they decided to add that to the costume. Yeah. A cool beat here that happens on, uh, page nine and, uh, was it nine and 10. This is the, uh, first appearance of Robin back in Gotham city that, uh, commissioner Gordon, uh, makes note that, uh, you know, it's good to see you again. And, uh, Tim is uh, quick on his feet to say, Oh, you know, I've, I've been out of town. And uh, this is obviously Sarah Essen's first time, 
uh, working with Robin that, uh, you know, she's wanting to get some information from him. And, uh, of course, Robin disappears like Batman would. And uh, Gordon basically has to tell her, you know, you'll get used to it, that they're going to do that. <laughs> yeah, this, this was a time when I was reading it where I thought Commissioner Gordon was very old. You know, he's really old in here. It's like, I think when Batman Begins came out and, and Gary Oldman was playing him a lot younger it was kind of uh, I like the Gary Oldman version, mm-hmm. but it, it, it's mm-hmm. always kind of a little jarring. I'm like, isn't he like this like really ancient guy on his way to retirement? And you look here, he looks old with that white hair. And when I when I see Sarah, I just feel like, oh man, you know, you got something coming to you soon. <laughs> There's gonna be an earthquake, and then the Joker, and it's not gonna end good for you. <laughs> but um, yeah, I, I do like how they were bringing her in here, although she didn't last very long. Um, yeah, I. I- Looking at the age of Commissioner Gordon, he was always just like you said. He was always seemed one day from retirement, like he was the Murtog of uh, <laughs> of this. Yeah. That, you know, yeah. I'm going to be retiring tomorrow. So, uh, and then to have, I mean, I would guess Sarah Essence probably much uh, younger than he is. I think they said No Man's Land that she might be in her late twenties, early thirties, and uh, Gordon looks like he could be in his you know late sixties, early seventies. So. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I do like a younger uh, Commissioner Gordon, as well as creepy as that sentence just sounded. So we'll move. We'll, we'll, <laughs> yeah. we'll move on. Let's move on to the two young college boys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, we'll just skip that. Uh, I do yeah. like that Bruce uh, comes here to uh, Crime Alley and uh, is trying to be real sympathetic with the two uh, college kids and uh, their dorm situation. Situation situation is not the best, and Bruce can kind of see that and uh, has wants to try and make some amends to uh, get these kids into a better situation. So I I liked that in here. Yeah, I've always liked it when they use Bruce Wayne to solve a problem or Bruce Wayne to save somebody. Um, I I did think when reading it, man, Bruce Wayne must be the most infuriating person to be friends with or be a colleague of because he can always one up you with seeing his parents die because <laughs> no matter how bad it is it's like oh my girlfriend broke up with me yeah well i saw my parents murdered okay <laughs> you know like no matter, and he pulls it on this kid here too this kid is you know crying in his pillow and you don't know how it feels it's like oh yeah i saw my parents murdered that one yeah, yeah. oh and to, and to trumpet even one further i saw my parents murdered right in front of my eyes <laughs> yeah <laughs> I can't believe I guess, the store is out of ketchup. Well, my mom and dad. My mom and dad just died. Yeah, oh, okay. exactly. Yeah. That's probably the only reason why I can hang out with Superman is because Superman can one-up him because his whole planet died. <laughs> you know? I hate you, Clark. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and now my favorite page out of this whole entire book, page 12 and page 13. Not that this whole book is good, but this is absolutely one of my favorite Tim Drake Robin images ever in all comics. Um, I love this image so much of him just swooping over across uh, the Gotham City skyline on the bat rope. And it's just a beautiful, beautiful drawn image, so much so that it's on my Facebook page for Robin. Everyone <laughs> loves the Drake. I found a nice uh, image of it. Uh, this would have been a poster I would have loved to have absolutely had. I just think Bray Fogle uh, captures this really well. And I like the insert panels that he's done here that uh, not only is Tim going across the night sky, but he's stopping at the Gotham Hospital to check on his father one last time. And we finally get uh, Jack Drake finally waking up from his attack from the Obey Man. So I thought it was kind of a, a, a nice little moment for Tim here that uh, 
uh, he doesn't quite get to be there long enough to see his dad wake up. But uh, then this started putting all those thoughts on my head. Well, what's going to happen now? Tim's had this nice cushion of uh, dad kind of being in a coma, so he doesn't have anybody really to answer to. So I instantly thought, oh, crap, what's going to happen to Robin now? Yeah, you hit the nail on the head. This this panel is, is awesome. Um, it looks like the cathedral. I don't know if they had Photoshop back then. I don't think he drew that. That looks kind of put in there, but it's colored to flow. You've got like the Gothic architecture with the Manhattan sort of cityscape. That looks awesome. And even you can see his like staff kind of in the back there. It doesn't just appear magically. Um, and the thing I always loved about uh, Fogel's artwork the most was the way he used uh, Batman's eyes, the white in the eyes. It was very unrealistic, but it didn't matter. He could change the white to show different expressions. And he's starting to do it here with Tim. You know, the, the white in his eyes when he's looking at his father, like, denotes sadness. And um, I, I just, I, yeah, this, this, this is a home run right here, this, these two pages. Uh, we can move a little bit quicker through uh, this section with Bruce uh, going to um, the event here, the charity, uh, probably for a, a movie uh, that a premiere he's going to be at. We see Vicki Vale here, uh, which I think we may mention before that I did. I assumed that she was just made up by Bray Fogel for uh, this Batman series. Little did I know that uh, she existed long before. So uh, I've always looked at this as, oh, they put Kim Basinger in this uh, this issue. Yeah, there was a, a few issues there where they were kind of trying to shoehorn in Vicky Vale, I think just because of the Kim Basinger. If I had one knock on this issue, it would probably be a little bit of the headgear on pages 14 and 15. <laughs> yes. Because the one guy's wearing like a white headband, which just, I, I wanted Bruce to be like, you know, show up Monday morning, but you know, lose the headband. And, and, and the wife beater t-shirt there too, you know, as he drinks a cola. But um, I don't even know what Vicky Vale, it looked, like in some panels, it looks like it's a baseball cap on backwards, and some it looks like a ski cap. I, I'm not really sure what she has on her head—a a scarf, a hat. I don't know what that is, but she's like half Red Hood before the Red Hood. <laughs> yeah, I mean, even before, um, I don't think she would have gone. Being a photojournalist, I don't think her editor would have let her leave and like take your scarf off. You're—I don't care if you're just going to be behind the camera. You're. You're representing us, so this is very, you know, I am woman, hear me roar. I can wear a scarf. I don't care. I'll wear it on my head. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Tim trying to, not trying, but using Harold's new bugging thing with the modem. Uh, we talked about, you know, dating things, hearing the whole thing about the modem and Morris code. I thought, okay, that this does date the book, <laughs> you know, a little bit with the pay phone, and that's how he's hacking into the back computer to get information uh, of this girl that uh, – has just slapped him in the face that she's uh, still going on about the boyfriend and, you know, what her, her deal is here. Yeah. Not only does it date the book, but it's a rotary payphone. <laughs> right. That was dated in 1991 when this came out. So, uh, but it's still, it's still kind of cool to see the gadgetry um, and kind of, I, I like how it's kind of Seinfeld esque a little bit, how everything comes together. And if you can disbelieve, you know, suspend your disbelief just a little bit. It's kind of cool how all these like kind of threads with soap opera and the crazy woman and Robin and Bruce Wayne, and it's all kind of coming together a bit. So I really liked how 
he ties this all together in just one issue. Yeah, totally poking fun at the soap opera. Well, that's not real. Well, as real as the comic is, we have a real-life soap opera here that a woman that has watched this actor on screen uh, doesn't love her anymore. And, like, lady, you're crazy. He never loved you. He didn't know you existed. And matter of fact, <laughs> yeah. he's fake. <laughs> you know. So yeah. uh, Bruce coming in and uh, then Bruce playing the part where he realizes, look, I can't get to my Batman uh, costume at all. I'm I'm trapped here. Even though he tries to uh, slink out of here, uh, he isn't able to. So I thought, oh, this is going to be the big moment where Robin gets to kind of save Bruce, and that doesn't even kind of happen. Uh, Bruce kind of turns the table on it and gets the girl off guard, and the police are able uh, to come and get there. So I, I thought it was a nice, a nice little touch that. Uh, Robin didn't really have to save anybody, and Batman didn't have to save anybody, but Bruce kind of did. So, like you said, I like when they use Bruce Wayne to be able to solve a problem, and I think it's a good lesson for uh, Tim to kind of see too. You don't, you, we don't always need the the quote unquote hero to save the day. Sometimes the the hero is right in the room. Yeah, you know, it's really good. Uh, you do have to suspend disbelief just, just a yes, little bit. It, yeah. That Bruce Wayne would know that if he knocked out and punched in the face the lead actor, she would drop her gun and go running for him <laughs> instead of start shooting. So, and then I, I love on the end of page 20, he, Bruce has to explain to Tim what happened and it's like Star Stalker Star Stalkers they call them and I'm like, uh no, <laughs> they don't call them that. They call them something else you can't print because there's the comic book code authority thing on the right. front. But if it, if it was Frank Miller, he would have printed it. But uh, you know what? What can you do? <laughs> it's kind of funny. And you know, if you, you just suspend that little disbelief for a minute, it's a great story. Yeah. And we get the uh, wrap up of uh, Batman and Robin being summoned to a uh, police uh, headquarters. And Gordon uh, decides that of all the people that he's going to tell about his new engagement to Sarah Essen, he's going to, I shouldn't say of all people, I, the probably one of the most important people in his life would be Batman that he, he chooses uh, to tell Batman and Robin of their uh, marriage. And at the same time that's going on, uh, we get the phone call from the hospital uh, letting uh, us, the readers know that Jack Drake has come out of his uh, coma and uh, the final dialogue of uh, the inner monologue of Batman here kind of harkens back to the beginning of the book where uh, the shadows of uh, grief that Batman has been feeling this probably two and a half years, we'll say, uh, since Jason's death are finally starting to uh, starting to see a bright sunshine again with having a new Robin by his side. I think it was a cool one-and-done story uh, that kind of piggybacked a little bit onto uh, Robin 5 to we really kind of see what uh, the new look of this Batman and Robin dynamic is going to be uh, for here on out for quite some time in the Batman comics. I, I thought this was a, a, a great uh, single issue. Sometimes single issues kind of seem like a little bit of filler, but uh, Alan Grant just wrote a really nice, concise story that told a really good story, and it still, still holds up today. Yeah, totally. One other thing I, I wanted to mention, I, I kind of forgot it, and now you said it, and I want to mention it. One kind of moment that I really liked in this book is when Commissioner Gordon and Sarah um, run into Robin after he saves that Marine, which if you're a Marine, you probably kind of got a little annoyed at that. Yeah. Uh, these, these two guys beach up. They only have three eyes between them because one of them is wearing a patch. But yeah, come on, a Marine, a Marine would take these guys. But anyway, um, the... Uh, 
Commissioner Gordon sees Robin and uh, he says, long time now, long time no see, son, how you keeping? And Tim doesn't say like, oh, I'm the new Robin or he just says, I've been away, sir, but I'm back now. I like that, how it's kind of like Robin continues. Like, it's not like I'm new or there's a different guy. It's like, I'm Robin. Robin's back. I, I, that was, I don't know. I, I kind of geeked out a little bit on that moment. I kind of like that. And yeah, and I liked that for the timelessness of the Robin character. He, like you said, didn't have to go into the I'm new or actually, sir, I'm Robin number three. We've never met. He just kept up the guise of like, look, you know who Robin is. I know who Robin is and we're, we're going to move on. I just, that was just a, a really cool moment. I, and I like that it's Commissioner Gordon. It wasn't just some random person on the street. Yeah. So that's going to wrap it up for uh, us on this uh, 25th anniversary special of Tim Drake. Um, and it was cool that the podcast worked itself out, that we covered the end of the Robin miniseries and then Batman and Robin's first appearance together with Tim Drake as Robin. Uh, Terrence, it's been great having you on the podcast. And uh, it probably goes without saying that I would love to have you on again at some point, uh, if you would be so inclined. Oh, I'd love to. Yeah. Thanks for having me on. I enjoyed talking to Tim Drake with somebody who actually knows what I'm talking about other than my wife. <laughs> which is, uh-huh, yeah. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. What? You know, makes cakes. What? You know, so it's awesome. Thanks for having right. me on. Right. Uh, we'll be back in a couple weeks and uh, we will see you in two weeks on the next uh, Wednesday where the podcast will drop over at the BatmanUniverse.net, your source for everything Batman and Robin. We'll see you guys in two <laughs> weeks. Later. All right, see ya. Thanks for listening to Robin, Everyone Loves the Drake Comic Podcast. This has been brought to you by the BatmanUniverse.net. Tim Drake, Robin, and all Batman-related characters are under copyright of DC Comics. This podcast is solely for entertainment purposes, and I am making no money from it. Much to the displeasure of my wife. Sorry, babe. So no infringement is intended by this show. This also applies to all music and sound clips as they have their own copyright holders as well you can now find this podcast on itunes and windows media as well there you can rate and leave a comment to the show and subscribe i hope that you do you can also find me on facebook at www.facebook.com slash everyone loves the drake you can send a message there as well if you'd like to email you can do so by sending me one at r10 myers at yahoo.com that's r as in robin one zero m y e r s at yahoo.com and i'll read your emails on the air make sure that you head over to the batmanuniverse.net your home for all things batman and robin thank you for listening to the show and hearing why everyone loves the drake we'll see you in a few weeks take care we'll be right back.